Oh, you're so far away. I miss you, and I hate this. I can't believe we're still doing this. It's great that it's working out, and I love it. But oh my God, you're so far away, and I hate it. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. Um, but who knows? This could be the start of a radical new paradigm shift. It could be. Um, Think about it this listeners. way. Now we can bring people in from all over the world. We yeah. Have- not just from Southern California, but from Southwestern Montana. The world is our oyster. <laughs> uh, yes. Hello, people that listen to this show. Uh, Kyle and I have been doing it together for, for two years. We would usually meet very most often in my, in my grungy basement where we would watch an episode together and then immediately uh, share our thoughts on it. But now I, uh, I up and gone done, moved back to Montana for, uh, from now until question mark. And so this is our first episode that we were recording over the internet from, from the mountains to the coast. Uh, it's weird, but it's good. Uh, let's just get into it. Hi, my name is Nick. Hi, I'm Kyle. And this, this is, is the, the Big, Big Bang, Bang Theory Theory. Theory. <laughs> where we talk about the show, The Big Bang Theory, because we wanted to know why the hell other people watched it. We got a little sucked in. The The premise kind of fell apart. We just do it anyway, because we need something to fill the void in our lives. And you're here with us because, I don't know, I really would prefer not to think about why you're here listening to us. Uh, but I hope things are going okay for you, listener. I really hope so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, is there is there anything that you would like to jump into right away or should we just go ahead through the through the quick summary and move on or? yeah let's give them a summary all right so um the, the, also the three, to find out if we watched the same episode which i'm pretty sure we did but we've never I, actually... I, it, you know if we didn't watch the same episode we're just going to keep going <laughs> because that's where it's too late the record button has been pushed there's no going back um but short summary uh episode begins with uh leonard and penny uh lying together in bed post coitus both satisfied enjoying life uh and then leonard in a in a moment of uh maybe weakness but definitely vulnerability tells penny that he loves her and penny does the most human thing she could do which is to go thank you uh and then they they go to bed and don't really talk about it um and then i guess the first third of the episode is Leonard just being a real sad bastard while all of his friends try to guess at what horrible thing must have happened between him and Penny for him to be so sad. Uh, my favorite was Wallowitz saying that maybe you accidentally slapped your own ass and, and squeezed out mommy uh, during the middle of sex. Uh, I don't know. Raj's, the- Raj's was pretty good too, which is that did you wear her underwear because you thought it would be funny, but then it was just weird? It's time for one of Nick's high oversharing personal life stories. <laughs> oh, oh, Nick's oversharing life story. It's Nick's oversharing life story time. We're not even through the summary, but we're going to put that on pause so Nick can talk about his story. But I'm yay. Oh, all right. Ah, so uh, one time I was, I was, I went on a date with a friend and God, I hope I never talked about this already. So I'll, I'll I'm going to do the shortest version I can. Went out with a friend on like sort of a friend date thing. It was fine. Wasn't, great whatever another friend of mine shows up near the end of it and the three of us are like oh let's go get some food and go back to to her place and hang out for a while and while we were there uh late at night drinking our mcdonald's and and being uh drunk layabouts i thought i went to the bathroom and my friend had like nightgowns hanging up on the inside of the bathroom door and i thought it sure would be funny if i came out wearing one of these right that would be a fun goof and i did that and people thought it was kind of funny. 
except the, my other dude friend who showed up then also put one on. And then the lady we were with also got into like sexy underwear. And so then there's the three of us just kind of marching around the apartment in lingerie. And then all of a sudden there wasn't lingerie. And then there was just three naked people in a bed. And that's enough of the oversharing personalized, <laughs> except for the part where I was like, this is crazy. And then I, I went home because I couldn't handle the stress. Um, so Raj apparently dancing around in a woman's underwear because he thought it'd be fun. I'm with you. I feel you, Raj. I've been right there. And yeah, it gets awkward fast. Or I guess that was intensely non-awkward for the first part of it until I realized what the hell is going on. And I got very awkward again very quickly. Uh I, I approached the situation with a sense of childlike earnestness and just thought underwear is funny. Uh, so anyway, um, back to the show. Uh, eventually Leonard cracks and opens up saying that uh, he dropped the, the L bomb. He, he told Penny he loved her and then that Penny did not reciprocate. Well, no, he doesn't crack. This all comes out during the bowling game. Okay, I wasn't sure which happened first, whether the bowling game started up first. Uh, well, and so that's another thing is um, Sheldon, without like really any build up to it, it's like, hey, guess what? We've got bowling tonight at seven. Uh, and then they get there and it turns out to be a team bowling game. Uh, and on the other team are Stuart, uh, who runs the comic book shop and motherfucking Will Wheaton. And I'm going to just have to like chill out on this and not let my intense instinctual disgust for will wheaton whenever he shows up in the show like ruin you hate him you and sheldon have that in common i i think he's very easily hateable i i i get it i get sheldon's distaste for him but um anyway so yeah they're in the middle of their bowling game uh leonard is talking with penny through a lot of it and he can't let go that he didn't get the reciprocal i love you uh and so they Kind of, oh, now I'm getting it all mixed up. I can't remember if they finish that game or if that's where they get in the fight and Penny leaves. It, it, she gets in, she, they get into a fight because she says she loves chili dogs and he has a meltdown. Right. And, then, and that's when she announces, stop trying to pressure me into saying I love you in front of everyone. And so she walks out and then uh, Raj is like, ah, so it was a premature I love you that killed their relationship. To which Wallowitz responds, well, I had the premature part down. Does that count? Yeah, that was that one was okay. I remember that too. That was a decent joke. Um, all right, you're gonna need to help me. I'm f- I, my memory is no, fading. No, I can tell you totally. This is why I watched by the this way, an hour stopped, and a half ago. This is why we stopped doing it this way because we learned that Nick is literally incapable of holding the plot of a 24 minute sitcom episode in his head. I played some <laughs> video games in the meantime. I replaced all that information. I ran out of RAM. <laughs> You're just like, you're like the dude in Memento. You're just going to have to have like plot details from the Big Bang Theory just like tattooed on your body. If I'm going to get start, start getting tattoos, I may as well just start getting random bazingas and plot points and, and, and character faces and everything all over my body. Uh, my body will be a roadmap of pain. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm struggling. So I know that there is some, some post- so uh, bowling game hangouts to, they have to forfeit the game because they only have three people despite the fact that we never meet the other two people on will wheaton's and stewart's team we're just no to they do not matter there must actually be four of them even though we literally do not see two of them but um so penny leaves and they forfeit and sheldon dedicates himself to soothing penny's angst and getting her back together with leonard solely so that they can have a rematch 
Yes. So that you can destroy Will Wheaton. So he sort of forced, he basically, uh, he's like, you have to talk to Leonard so that we can go bowling. And she's like, you're not going to leave this alone, are you? And he's like, I think we both know the answer to that. Yeah. Which is, oh, go uh, ahead. uh, Well, they don't give the, he says exactly what you just said that. I think we both know the answer to that. Uh, And then Penny immediately rushes down to the laundry room to, I guess, confront or speak with Leonard, who is um, eerily cheery about the situation. He's, he's suddenly very much accepted his lot and seems to be totally at peace with what happened. Well, it um, has one of the best lines in the show, I think, which is, well, it makes sense. You know, I've been in this relationship two years longer than you have. That was okay. That was pretty good. Um, but they, they make up as much as they can. Um, they, they attend the, the rematch bowling game uh, and this is where, uh, as they're bowling, the, the, the tension starts to escalate again between Penny and uh, Leonard. And while Leonard is away from his seat, Will Wheaton, dastard that he is, leans in and is like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I had a premature I love you once. A uh, girl dragged the relationship for two more years after that. Uh, really wish she'd just broken up with me in the spot. Would have been the nicer, more decent thing to do. Uh, which then sends Penny into uh, a, a moderate panic as she prepares to end her relationship with Leonard. Uh, meanwhile, Sheldon, uh, well, not meanwhile, I guess she, she does. She, she announces that it's, it's not fair and she kind of storms out. Leonard is left kind of confused and sad. Sheldon goes to confront Will Wheaton about it. And is like, you wouldn't really just break up a relationship to win a bowling game, would you? And Will Wheaton says, no, of course not. Sheldon says, oh, thank goodness. And Will Wheaton says, yeah, you just keep thinking that I wouldn't do that. Uh, because he is apparently uh, just the biggest piece of shit. Um, and is that kind of where it ends? There's definitely no kiss and make up between Leonard and Penny. No, their, their relationship right. is presumably over. Yes, we'll see how that plays out in the next episode. But no, the stinger on this one is oh they, the, they the moment agreed, of shame yes they agreed that whoever lost the rematch presumably this was one of the conditions of getting them to agree to a rematch was heightening the stakes and they agreed that whoever lose would have to do whatever humiliating thing that the winner chose and so at the end after they have lost Stewart's pick to humiliate them is um the four they're We'll come back to this. But anyway, the four of them, the four dudes, the four bros, do we have a name for them? Have we ever just come up with a name for like the four of them who are not Penny? I don't think so. I've, uh, I think I've defaulted towards calling them the gang just because of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I've never given them their own name. Yeah, the, less, the gang that is not the gang, that's not cool as the gang, and it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, walking into the comic book shop wearing uh, like basically your pretty – like classic female Halloween costumes. Well, female superhero costumes. You're right. Sorry. Female superhero costumes, like the Batgirl, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, Catwoman costumes. Yes. Uh, Sheldon, I think, is looking pretty good in his Wonder Woman costume. Really shows off his physique. Meanwhile, uh, Raj is very excited to be in his Catwoman costume. He feels empowered and powerful, and I love it. He's strutting. Uh, it's, I think, something that the show should really embrace in future episodes. I'm sad that I know it won't. But uh, yeah, that's the episode. Sheldon, uh, not Sheldon, Leonard and Penny uh, have it, a at least temporary breakup because Penny is not ready to say I love you and Will Wheaton takes advantage of it. That is more or less the episode. So now 
any nitty gritty we want to get into. Kyle, how are you feeling? Feeling fine. It, for some reason, it really bothers me because now that I'm thinking about it, there must be five of them on each bowling team. Oh, if that's how that works. Like, who ever heard of a five-person bowling team? I didn't know there were really bowling teams to begin with. I've seen, you know, middle-aged people on public access channels going two by two to the bowling lane, you know, and I figured that's as much of a team sport as it ever gets to be. But uh, I, I assumed for that it's it's generally a solitary act that no, you're just no, trying. No, it's entire. Like I don't. I do think the. I don't understand like what forces like drove the fad in the first place, but. Um, like, cause you're right. Bowling sucks. It objectively sucks. So I don't know why anyone would do it. You like, and I are together in that camp. And I think we are in the vast minority though. No, I, th- no. I think I, most people like bowling. They like it every now, but I'm telling you when I was growing up, like in the Midwest, that was like at the end of like everybody. But I mean, remember it used to be like a thing. Remember Flint's Fred Flintstone. Like I'm mm-hmm. just putting together, like he loved to bowl that was like part of his character and no one thought it would like and his whole thing was being like the most stereotypical like middle class 1960s or upper middle upper lower class you know the most stereotypical bull collar guy imaginable and like one of the number one things that he loves is bowling mm-hmm. and it's just like not it was i guess it was like it must be like the closest thing poor people had to golf or something but yeah, they're just like, so long as we're, you know, getting something in a hole somewhere, we're doing just as good as those upper crust ivory tower elites. But anyway, it, there are bowling alleys everywhere. People used to love to bowl, you know, the big Lebowski and all of that. But yes, what I was trying to say is some of my earliest memories are my mother was in a bowling league. Oh. Um, and she, like I said, I don't know if she was, I, she was probably okay. She, she has an, she has a sort of preternatural marksman-like ability that who's that gene just totally skipped me by. Um, and so, yeah, she was bowling. Like some of my earliest memories are like of being in the daycare center at the bowling alley. Really? Yes. Um, That's uh, I, I like that someone has enough time to bowl, but not enough time to take care of their child. <laughs> They're like, I know that I need this little living flesh sack. Uh, I, it needs me to supply its nutrients and safety and everything else. But I just got to get that turkey. I got to knock down that 710. I got I to gotta do it all. Yes, there was a lot of bowling. I just know that whenever I went to bowling, I was bad at it. And that was enough reason to hate it. That's also the reason I hate a lot of different other things. Yeah, that's the same. I'm a terrible, terrible bowler. And I've never been able to like... Like I haven't a, like I cannot consistently keep my ball out of the gutter. I mean, that's a nice place for it to be anyway. It's it's smooth, it's comforting, you know where you're going. Like I'm kind of dealing with a, a, a period of transition in my own life right now, and in a sense I'm in the gutter. Oh, and really I should embrace it and find it comforting because I'm I'm along a single path, you know. Maybe I'm out of options, maybe I'm not exactly where I want to be, but I know where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Right into the no man's land where behind the pins where you get sucked up into the tubes or however bowling works. Uh huh. Just waiting for the next sweaty, strange person to come and stick their fingers in me and give me a new sense of purpose again. That would be. Can you imagine if. I feel like that's a. It would be a stupid movie. No one would like this movie, but this seems like something someone has pitched at some point, which is a Hollywood movie where all of our sports equipment is really alive. Like all of the baseball bats and the baseballs and the the soccer balls, like have faces and talk to each other when we're not using them. So very, very Toy Story esque. Are they are they capable of 
getting up and moving around or are they like no completely I, trapped within their their frames yeah no they're completely trapped with it. maybe they can like wiggle back and forth a little bit to try to like so you know so like the person who thinks that his like you know who keeps blaming his like golf clubs like he really is an asshole and his golf clubs just all hate him so they just refuse to do what he says but for the for the most part, it's not like they can go on cross country journeys. It's not like the Brave Little Toaster. Why can't everything be more like the Brave Little Toaster? <laughs> I suppose the main character, if it was a ball, could like bounce himself around and roll a little bit. That would be sort of the same thing. Yeah, you know, I was on board at first, but I think you're right. This would be a pretty bad movie. Uh, oh, yeah, no, it would be an awful. <laughs> no, feel like you, you you gave me the pitch. You you went on to undermine it immediately. <laughs> And then stuck to your guns on that one. And I'm, I'm here with you to say, yeah, this isn't good. All right. The question Back is, the do, drawing board. do like the balls and the, do the golf balls and the golf clubs, do they like hate each other? Or do they have some sort of weird sadomasochistic relationship with each other? I think balls are so easily gotten rid of and discarded that it really is a power move on behalf of the clubs. Like they, they really get a thrill out of knowing how, how easily they can abuse and, and discard the, the members meanwhile the balls their whole purpose is to to find a way to get into the hole and so they're thankful for it they debase themselves that it's like please please put me next on the cute little pin i need to go home and i need you to spank me all the way there big one wood come on one wood take me home yeah no that all makes sense um like they get a weird dopamine rush. What's the most horrifying? Because now I'm thinking of like other things that you could like give the Pixar treatment and just make them randomly alive in like a CGI cartoon. And I I feel like all of the non-horrifying things have been taken. Because next I was like, what if your shoes had like were alive? But not like not like each shoe individually. Like what if a pair of shoes somehow like shared consciousness between them so that like I would I would set my next big Pixar movie in a meatpacking plant where the animals all have fun personalities <laughs> and you get to know them just enough before they, they slide down the chute uh, in, into the, the, the loving embrace of the grinder or whatever it is. That was basically the premise of Sausage Party. I've still never seen Sausage Party. I don't know so why, you, why anyone would. Well, at the time, it got really good reviews. People seemed to like it in spite of it you know, appearing to be a pretty trash movie. I don't know. I think people were surprised by its meditations on mortality or some shit like that. I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, we're doing that thing again where we're not talking about the episode at all. Even though this, this wasn't a bad episode. I actually like this episode. Okay. Why did you like this episode, Nick? I, th- all right. I think I like it for two reasons. One, the, uh, the, the main thrust of the plot is very relatable. I think everyone has had that awkward moment of dropping the, I love you and not being ready to do it themselves or the other person not being ready for it. And so it's like, okay, this is like a real thing that happens in a relationship. It's not like in any of the other episode where it's like, oh my God, our favorite sci-fi author is going to be at the comic book shop. How am I going to balance my relationship with this? Ah. Um, I also just really liked uh, how shitty everyone was to Leonard about his relationship problems. Um. I don't know why, but something about Wallowitz hammering on him for as long as he did was really great. Well, uh, because he won't tell them what's going on, which is the part that's like, I mean, I guess it's understandable, but at the same time, it's like, that's a frustrating thing too when your friend is like obviously bummed out about something and he's just like, but I'm just going to be a 
shitty person instead of just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Just going to go on being a little bitch. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's why I am always very open about whatever happens to be bothering me at the time. It's I'm really being a better friend by doing so. It's, no, it's, it's one of your best qualities. Yes. Just being very, very open about how little I want to spend time with my friends and how shitty everything we do together is. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it had actual stakes as to Penny and Leonard's relationship. And even though, of course, everything's going to work out episodes from now, they're going to get back together and everything's going to be fine. And then it won't be, and then it will be, and then it won't be, and then it will be. It's still nice to have an episode where everything isn't just nightly, nicely tied up at the end, that there actually is something that theoretically we have to look forward to wondering what the next step of this is going to be. It's not, they didn't start and end in the same place, I guess. And so that was, it, it felt like a real show with real people moving forward in time. <laughs> talk about damning with faint praise not like a a real show with real it's actually it's funny because in this episode uh when after they've had their first public fight when sheldon is trying to get them back together sheldon knocks on penny's door and he has ice cream and she's like why do you have ice cream he's like well i know everything about women from reading kathy yeah when kathy is upset she goes ack and eats ice cream and it's like well, that's something I actually really like about the episode that I was forgetting just a moment ago, and I'm glad you brought it up, is Sheldon is weirdly, pa- like, casually misogynistic in this one. Like, he keeps talking about how uh, Penny is going to be such an asset to the team because she lacks traditionally feminine features. And, like, at, at one point, she's walking away from the apartment, and he encourages her to really keep up that butch energy for the game. Uh, he he talks about how... Uh, he can hear Leonard in his room singing along loudly to Alanis Morissette. And he's like, yeah, there's another woman who needs some ice cream. Am I right? I'm like, where is this energy coming from Sheldon? <laughs> How are you suddenly the, 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 uh, friggin' broads guy of the episode? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I was just, uh, I was just trying to say if there's any show that is more the, like the television equivalent of the Kathy comic strip than the big bang theory, I don't know what it is, so they're really they should really be careful about you know the stones and glass houses. You ever, you ever read a Kathy strip? I mean, I must have, right? At Maybe some that's point. what I should do. So now, seems, now that I'm, it seems impossible to have never read one. Now that I've exiled myself to my, myself to Montana, maybe I owe it to myself to purchase a Kathy collection and really come to understand what this iconic character is all about. Those don't exist. There has to be one. I too believe they don't exist. <laughs> but in this world, it just has to be out there, right? Like, as little sense as that would make. Because nobody's ever enjoyed Kathy, right? Like, it's it's just there, like, as a placeholder um, to remind us that, that yes, uh, office life is terrible and no one should be a part of it. Um, you don't need to... Uh, actually go to an office to know that it's just a soul-sucking, unfunny environment. Um, and so I guess it serves its purpose there, but I need to, I want to know, Are Kathy. you sure? You're really focusing on the office aspects of this. Are you sure you're not thinking of Dilbert? I think I'm trying to not be too mean to Kathy because I think, you know, as far as comics go, there aren't a lot that just focus on a regular lady and her regular problems. It's just unfortunate that focusing on that happens to suck shit that <laughs> so just just so we're on the same page uh will wheaton 
actual person, actual human being who's doing his best in the world. Fuck that smug guy. But Kathy, you know, she's Kathy trying her best. Kathy deserves a chance. Will Wheaton is nefarious and dastardly and will receive no quarter. Maybe this, okay, this, do you want, this is now the Kathy podcast. Show oh, her. what have we done? <laughs> the only podcast with a more oddly niche audience. Yeah, this is a, this is a new leaf for us. We're abandoning the Big Bang Theory theory. We've, we've milked it as much as we can. We're both obviously sick of it. I'm ready for a little more, uh, we'll call it special Asians. Oh, God. That, that I really just felt you punched me in the soul. Anyway, my favorite Sheldon uh, moment is when he hits a strike and he, sh- and he jumps up and goes, thank you, Jesus. Yes, which is something my dear mother would say. Yes. Um, yeah, no, that's, it's good to know that uh, someone who has abandoned the path of the Lord to the extent that he has still has some, some of the Holy Spirit inside of him. I like to know that there's salvation yet possible for, for Mr. Dr. Cooper. <laughs> That's really where the show ends. He just like, not to spoil things for you, Nick, but I have watched ahead. Eventually he becomes like a, a Catholic priest. Nice. And then he, he's going to continue the cycle of abuse with the, oh, I guess it was his actor friend, not Sheldon himself, who had to deal with the, 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 the bishop's, what gin pickled tongue sliding down his throat or whatever it was in the earlier episode. Yes. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Um, Okay, is there anything else specific that you would like to get into, or should we start wrapping up? Because uh, it's, it's, it's about wrapping up time, so it's your last chance. Penny was looking kind of hot in this one. Oh, yeah? What, what's got you all fired up about Penny, huh, buddy? Oh, no. I just always, whenever I notice that she's looking, like, whenever I find her attractive, I'm like is, she more, like, is she more attractive in this episode? Like, are they doing something to make her a little more attractive? Or is this all about me and my mood swings? And I don't think we have enough data to conclude either way. Well, you've just added a new segment to the show, which is where we use the show as a way of measuring our own general horniness. That's, it's not Penny looks good. It's you're watching the show and you're like, hey, guess what? I'm feeling horny today. And I just wanted to share that with the public. Um, although this does... Um, like the reason the chain of events leading directly to uh, Leonard telling Penny that he loves her is uh, I can't remember exactly, but he says something, something I'll give it a try. And she's like, do or do not. There is no try. He's like, yes. Did you just quote star Wars. And she's like, no, I think I quoted empire strikes back. And so he's just really excited. Yeah, and he, he's like, obviously like I, I feel that in my soul, just like his palpable excitement to be in bed with someone who is both attractive and can quote Star Wars. And that's why he... Isn't that the dream? It is the dream. And I mean, I had a, I, I had a very similar... I actually, I, it was not, a, it was not a, a sex thing, but definitely I had a friend of mine who was like, uh, whose name is Logan, and they were just casually in a conversation. They were like, they were like... Um, Unlike my namesake, I do not possess an enhanced healing factor. Just like out of the blue, we were not having a conversation about this at all. They just randomly okay. said that. I was like, did, did you just make a very like, like roundabout? But, and it was just entirely casual reference to Wolverine. And yeah, I, I had to stop everything I was doing and tell him that I loved him as a friend at that point. Uh, well, on this moment of love and acceptance, we should wrap up. Um, unless you want to squeeze anything else in nope okay cool well then uh we're on social media find us whatever hey it's our nerd thing of the week um 
I've got, I've definitely got one in the chamber, but do you have anything you're excited about that you'd like to start with or should I go? Uh, I'll go. I got, um, for myself, because I was going, I actually, I got a really cool present from a friend this week, but it, I, it, it relates to stuff I've already got. I've, I just want to say the most awesome gift I may have ever gotten in my life. Someone sent me a signed copy of a Gene Wolfe um, short story collection. I'm losing my mind over it. I saw you post about that and I was excited for you, but I do not understand its significance. And so explain, explain to me and the other ignorant listeners what's going on. I mean, it's a, so I've talked before on this podcast about Gene Wolfe and how he's like both considered by me personally and by many other people to be like one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. Um, like the way I was, I was trying to explain it to someone else. I was like other science fiction writers get, or fantasy writers, they get compared to like, you know, uh, like uh, Isaac Asimov or Robert Heinlein or, um, you know, if they're fantasy, like these, this guy's kind of like George R. R. Martin. But when people talk about Gene Wolfe, they're like, yeah, he's sort of like Herman Melville or James Joyce. It's like, it's like people just, everybody knows he's really good. And I really like his stuff. But yeah, this is a, this is a first, I've never owned a first edition of anything in my life that was Ooh. like, I mean, I guess some of the stuff I bought at Barnes and Noble technically was, but nothing that I actually cared about. This, this is from 1989. It's from the year I was born. And it's signed by the author. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty great gift. Um, not that friendship is a contest, but if it was, you're losing. Um, mm, I mean, I was probably losing to begin with, but knowing that I have not uh, increased my stance in any way is a little discouraging. I mean, I'll, look, I'll get it's, by. it's unfair. Friendship is not subject to the rules of capitalism. So it's not like we can only measure friendship in the amount of cool shit that we buy each other. I'm just saying if that were the rules, you'd be losing. All right. I feel like those are the rules and I am, um, but I'm just going to live with it. Okay. The other thing I was going to say is I got myself uh, a copy of the Burning Wheel Rulebook, which is this incredibly complicated RPG that is, I think, literally probably the hardest set of like tabletop role-playing rules to learn of like any system I have ever encountered. Um, and yet it's great. I love it. It's really, really cool and intuitive, and it tries really hard to like incorporate everything you could want out of like a narrative-based fantasy setting into its like core dynamics. But I don't know that like everybody I know who's like super into tabletop RPGs is like, no, the burning burning wheel is amazing. And then you're like, have you ever played it? And they're like, oh, fuck no, way too hard. <laughs> well, so you're saying it's way too hard, but you also just said it was intuitive. What gives? Well, it's intu intuitive, but it's intuitive in the sense that like, you know how the rules work without understand like but you still have to cross-reference them a lot. Like, cause the basic rules are just like, you have a, a dice pool, right? That you, um, and that everything that you attempt to do is measured against like how you roll your dice in that dice pool and how they stack up to each other. So that's incredibly easy. And then what's even more intuitive is instead of like leveling up your character, you level up your individual dice pools. So like the more you try to do something, like the more you use your like lock picking skill, mm -hmm. like the more, whether you fail or succeed, your lock picking skill just goes up over time and that increases the number of dice you roll. So you'll Oh, that's cool. So it's you're you're sort of encouraged to actually grind your skills and improve. Right. Like, and, rather than just increasing your base stats and getting spillover benefits. Right. That yeah, because there are no base I mean, there are base stats, but the base stats aren't nearly as like important. And yes, um, that's exactly right. Is it's all about like testing your different skills and growing them, and even your character traits work like that because you can you can you literally have your character traits are are like 
have stats that you can test the same way. Like if you're a dwarf, dwarves have a greed stat. And so you can use your greed stat to burst, boost your other abilities. But if you rely on it too much, you're consumed by your lust for gold. Nice. You have to retreat into the mountain with your horde forever. Well, so cool. cool. It's like the dwarf. It's actually, now that I'm, like it's nothing like this in terms of how you play it, but it's sort of like Dwarf Fortress, right? In which Dwarf Fortress is very intuitive in the sense that like, okay, I understand I'm in charge of a bunch of dwarves in a mountain. I just have to make sure they don't all die. But then the actual mechanics of playing that game are incredibly complicated. All right. Um, and one more time, what's the name? It's The Burning Wheel. Okay. A version Great. of that same engine was also used in the, a simplified version was used in a game called Mouse Guard, which is also really fun. Is that based off the comic books? Yes. I think okay. it, they were basically developed in tandem. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with, I'm, I'm very loosely familiar with the comic book. I didn't know there was a game too. So, hooray. Um, well, I guess I'll move on to my thing of the week, which I've, I've done some other nerdy stuff this week, but I think what I'm actually going to recommend isn't particularly nerdy. It's a, it's a show on Netflix, which I am probably not going to pronounce correctly at all, but I believe it is called uh, Head to Fied. It's G-E-N-T-I-F-I-E-D, but it is a primarily Spanish language show set in East LA in Boyle Heights about uh, a family in, uh, that consists of a grandpa and several cousins uh, who are all connected to a uh, local hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant and how all of them are coping with the different forces of gentrification that are coming to take over their neighborhood. And um, I'm giving it a sort of a qualified recommendation because I feel like it's, it's, it's only 10 episodes so far. I've, I binged all 10. I feel like it started out really strong and then kind of petered out near the end because I think they were more interested in preparing for a, a second season than they were in like neatly wrapping up some of their smaller plot developments. Yeah, I do hate that. Yeah. Uh, so a little frustrating. Not the worst thing, though. But overall, it's really great. I think um, so many shows about LA will focus on the the more hollywood aspects of it which is obviously a very big part of living in los angeles it's everyone there is aspiring to live out their entertainment dreams and it's the place to do it but um something that i was only ever kind of on the periphery of when i was living there like mostly th uh, because of my my activist friends was the uh very now and real issues of active gentrification destroying local communities um, who are, I think, often ignored in favor of that view of the the glitzy, glamorous LA that everyone wants to to focus on. Um, but it also does it in a way that I think shows these people as just like being like very regular, normal people. Like like one of the the kids um, in the show is like kind of a a a, a tougher, young kind of almost like thuggish guy but you know he's not your like stereotypical gangbanger guy too he's he's just he's just a tough nut to crack and then they've got their one of the cousins is someone who uh left the community to go off and like study culinary school in like ohio or something and so they like they spend a lot of time making fun of him for not really being mexican and calling him a coconut all the time and saying like making fun of him for not really being a part of the community and trying to change everything up with his silly midwest ideas that he's picked up um and i don't know there's not too much more to say about it i guess other than it's it's what i'm watching in the immediacy of leaving la to make me feel a little bit less homesick while make like 
like feeling like a real LA, not like a glamorous LA, like, because it's just a couple neighborhoods over from where I was living and Echo Park and Echo Park itself was a recent victim of severe gentrification to which I contributed. <laughs> yes. Um, Places drowning in hipsters. Yes, it is. And I know that uh, not, not too long ago in Boyle Heights, maybe ongoing, there were like active violent protests against bougie um, stores and things like that that were trying to come in and, and cuten up the area. Uh, and so I seeing a show that focuses on how the real people living in those neighborhoods are affected by it and how, how little control they have over it as the moneyed white folk are coming in and just kind of having their, their way with the properties and everything is, uh, I don't know. It's really interesting. I liked it a lot. So not really a nerdy thing, but if you want to ever watch a show about LA, that's about how I think the vast majority of people in LA live as compared to the few who in most media live in big fancy houses and are getting around and getting everything they ever want. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's really good for that. So yeah. Did you ever think you would, is it, does it feel weird being homesick for Los Angeles? Yeah, it's, uh, I won't get too much into it right now, but it is strange. Like moving back to Montana, I've only been gone for a few years, but moving from a small town to a big city, uh, is it, is, is pretty exciting thing. And, uh, it was, it was scary. And like, I think in a lot of ways I found LA pretty overwhelming but coming home, I'm just like, oh, what's what's this place? Who are these people that I've known all of my life? What am I doing here? I can't get Korean food delivered to me at midnight. This is obviously where where werewolves and, and ghosts should reside because no human should ever be here for for any legitimate reason. People couldn't really live here. Um, and it's weird, too. Like, you know, like four days ago, I woke up and it was a heat wave and palm trees everywhere. And now I'm in the, the gray, cold, wintry mountains. And so it is very strange to feel homesick for Los Angeles. And I don't think it's going to be a lasting feeling, considering that it was a pretty brief period of time that I lived there in the long run. But um, yeah, it's, I need it. I, I need to look on my, my hazy homestead and miss all of the various carne asada and carnitas and everything that are prominently featured in the show. <laughs> Which I can't have here. I, I I need to get one of our our very bland local burritos so I can have the reality of being home finally set in. Every time I go, there's a place next to my office that has great burritos. Every time I go in, I'm like, can I get that chicken or pork burrito or whatever? And it's like spicy or mild. I'm like mild. You little bitch. And he's like, ah. shakes his head. I can tell I'm disappointing him.